Hey, welcome to the Hamilton Hills Church Podcast. We're so glad that you decided to listen today. We have a saying in our church, life is messy, everyone is welcome, and anything is possible. So no matter where you're at in your life, we hope that this message brings you some encouragement. Enjoy. Jesus, the name of Jesus, born of a virgin to pay the ultimate price for us, God's chosen son, born in a stable and placed in a manger. Wise men travel day and night to bring gifts and worship the king. He is the Messiah. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. He is Emmanuel. He is the great I am. He is the wonderful counselor. He is the almighty God. He is the everlasting father. He is the prince of peace. He is Hamilton Hills Church. How are you? You're like, you look totally different. We haven't seen you before. Uh, My name is Brian White. I'm the lead pastor at Harvest Bible Chapel, not too far away. And um, your pastor and I are friends. And uh, we were having lunch a couple weeks ago. And we said, you know, really our churches should do more together. We should uh, have more fellowship than we've had in the past. And um, I didn't expect him to break his leg to be able to make that happen. But um, let me just tell you before we start, Uh, Why don't you get your Bibles out and go ahead and go to Isaiah chapter 9 while I'm uh, just sharing some of these thoughts. I just want to tell you how thankful I am um, for your pastor. I'm thankful for his love for you as a church and his compassion, his love uh, for this city. Uh, Literally, Mark is making an impact and influencing so many around Fishers and Carmel and Noblesville. And I'm so very thankful for the friendship we have. We uh, share a common interest and passion in church planting, and so we partner together in doing that, and just really, really thankful for him. When we worked together uh, just a couple of weeks ago, and he extended the invitation just about a week ago to come, my wife, Laura, and I have been looking forward uh, to being with you. My wife, Laura, is with me today, and uh, what a privilege to be with you. I just want to tell you that we're thankful for you. I'm thankful for uh, sister churches, partner churches in the same area that are going after the kingdom work together. Do you know that around our two campuses, there's over 100,000 people who need Jesus Christ? And the problem isn't that we have uh, too many good churches. The problem is we don't have enough of them. And, uh, and so really it's a privilege for me to come and just be able to share God's word with you um, this morning. So Isaiah chapter 9, this is where we've been over the last couple of weeks here. And um, I did my homework. Listen, whenever you're kind of stepping into the middle of a series, you want to go back. And so um, I listened to messages from Matt and, and Pastor Mark. And uh, we've been kind of focusing in on here at Hamilton Hills, this idea that we understand who Jesus is. He is, and then it gives the names of Jesus, the promised Messiah in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Look with me if you would in chapter 9, verse 6. Here's what you find. For to us a child is born... To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So this morning, part of my privilege is to be able to unpack this phrase that Jesus is our everlasting Father. However, I'm going to note right up front that, listen, there's not going to matter anything that I say. What matters is what is in the Word of God and that the Holy Spirit is moving. Isn't it true that nothing eternal is going to happen in this time unless God's Holy Spirit moves? Don't you believe that? 
Okay, so before we go any further, let's just ask the Lord to be uh, magnified in this place and for His Spirit to be active. Let's pray together. Father, thanks for today. God, thank you uh, for the chance to be with friends and brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, thank you for all that you're doing at Hamilton Hills. Lord, as we've walked the hallways this morning, as we've met uh, so many fellow believers, Lord, as we've uh, heard the testimony of lives changed, God, I just rejoice in what you're doing in this place to bring glory to yourself. God, thank you for your word, your perfect word. And Lord, in your perfect word, you tell us that you will guide us to the truth by your spirit. God, that's what we're asking you for this morning. Jesus, we want to magnify and honor you. What a privilege it's already been just to exalt your great name. Jesus, thank you that you were born in a manger. Thank you that you lived a sinless life. Thank you, Jesus, that you went to a cross to pay for my sins, that you rose again. And Jesus, your word says that you're coming again, and it's certain. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. May you be honored in all that we would say and do today. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So to jump, kind of jump back into the passage here, this entire month you've been studying this uh, study of the names of Christ as they're recorded. And just to get context, in Isaiah chapter 8, uh, Isaiah chapter 8 is not a great chapter. Because Isaiah chapter 8 is like the Assyrians are coming. Okay, And then like at the beginning of the chapter, it's like the Assyrians are coming. That's never good. And then in the middle of the chapter, it's like, but wait upon the Lord. And you're like, listen, none of that's good. Why in the world would I wait upon the Lord? Because chapter 9 is coming and it's so much better. And here it is, that there's a promised king coming. Uh, Pastor Mark several weeks ago talked about the fact that this entire context of this passage is pointing forward to the Messiah. This prophet, some 700 years before Christ would come, is so certain that even the tense in which he writes the passage, it's like it's already occurring. And he's like, listen, this is going to happen. And, and, and he's pointing forward, but he's pointing forward to this promised king. And this promised king, because God is the one who keeps his promises, right? That's what you've been studying, that God keeps his promises. And this promised king is the one who would change things from darkness to light, from hate to love, from that which is empty to that which is full, to spiritual death to spiritual life. That's what this promised king would come and do. And so you've been kind of unpacking this. This promised king is one whose counsel is wonderful. That as he gives truth and as he instructs it and as he counsels it into our life, it's wonderful. But also he's the mighty God. Okay, that he's fully God. So let's just start real quick before jumping into the passage again and say this. Let's just talk about what this is not. Okay, when we're looking at this passage of Scripture, we're seeing descriptions of the Messiah. So when we come to the phrase, everlasting Father, don't let your mind switch off the idea of Jesus the Son. Okay, like sometimes we do that. We read through this passage and we're like, okay, it says Father, so we automatically go to the Father. Okay, and some people for years and years and years held to a heresy called modalism that was basically like God the Father was here and then he went away and Jesus came in his spot and then Jesus goes away and now it's the Holy Spirit, oneness theology. Listen, that's not right and that's certainly not what this passage is talking about. These are giving descriptions of what our Messiah would be like. So it's like saying this, our Messiah is like an everlasting Father. So all of you sitting in this room, when I say Father you have something that comes to mind. And for some of you, um, it's a really good thought. Your relationship with your father is a really good thing. Okay? 
I know that in my relationship with my dad, I'm really good friends with my dad. I talk to my dad on the phone often. He lives several hours away, and we talk on a regular basis. My relationship with my father-in-law is really a good relationship. That's a really important relationship to have a good relationship, right? Okay, because you're like married to his daughter forever, okay? And so um, thankfully that's going well. And um, here's a picture of my family, just so you know. Um, when I say father, here's what I'm talking about. We have five children. Our oldest is 15. Our next oldest is 12. Then we have two 11-year-olds. Did you catch that? 12 and then two 11-year-olds. They're about 12 months apart, those three, and then an eight-year-old. Listen, we have five kids, and that's the reason I don't have any hair, all right? Just letting you know that right up front, okay? okay. But, like, when I think of being a father, I think of how I care for my kids. I think of, of what our relationship is like, and yet I would have to know that some of you in this morning, when you think of father, you, you don't have a positive view of that. Maybe it's one of distance, or maybe it's one of hurt. So I think it's important when the author moved along by the Holy Spirit says that Jesus is like an everlasting father, it's super important that we really understand what that means so that we don't get off onto the wrong understanding. And what I want to do this morning is I actually want to take you to three places in the New Testament that demonstrate that Jesus in his character and actions is like our everlasting father, that he responds. In fact, write this down. This is the entire message in one sentence. Ready? Write this down. Jesus, our promised king, is forever faithful, tender and loving, like a father to his children. I want you to know that when we look at the passage and we see that he's the wonderful counselor, he is the mighty God, he is strong and powerful above everything, I also want you to know this. It is important to know that God makes his Messiah, Jesus, personal. Personal to you. And it could be that you think of God in kind of a concept idea. Here's the thing. I want you to see in these three passages we're going to look at that Jesus, our promised king, is intensely personal to you as his followers, like a father to his children. All right? Let's go from there. Let's go from Isaiah chapter 9, and let's jump into the first one. Go to Colossians chapter 1, turning your Bibles all the way to your right, several pages. We're going to jump around a little bit, but we're going to look at three snapshots that show the character of Jesus like a father on display. And here's the first one I want you to know. I want you to know that our king is forever faithful. My goal this morning is twofold. I want to encourage you, but I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you with the truth that Jesus, like a loving father to his kids, is relating to us. And I want to challenge you to actually draw near and embrace him. Here's what you find. Our king is forever faithful. Take heart. I want you to understand from Colossians chapter 1, that Jesus is faithful, first of all, to his preeminent position as the king. Look with me, if you would, in Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. By the way, as I'm finding as I get older, I'm having to use these large print Bibles because I just refuse to wear glasses. So just bear with me as it takes me tons of time to turn the pages, all right? Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. This is Paul writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing back about the ministry of Jesus and who Jesus was. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. What you begin to see is this, that the preeminent position of a king is that they are to have authority and they are to impress that authority down in a right way amongst their people. Like I, I love like, remember the Robin Hood movies? 
Like, there's something about, like, Robin. I love Robin Hood movies. Okay, like, any movie that, like, from there, like, medieval times, like, that's all awesome. I love that. Okay, and, like, into the French Revolution where you see, like, the French kings and stuff like that. And so the one common thing about all those movies is this. The king is always bad. Have you ever noticed that? Like, like, like 40 minutes into the movie, you're like, this guy's really bad. Like, just take care of your people. Make sure they have food. What, how hard is this? Why do we even have to have a Robin Hood? Just be a good king. Okay, now imagine that Israel would have thought pretty much the same thing when Isaiah said, you're going to have a promised king who's going to be to you like a father. Because there had been tons of kings in their history that were not like fathers. There were tons of kings that were bad kings, right? And praise God, they were not everlasting in that. They were temporary. But I want you to see that our promised king, who relates to us like an everlasting father, he's faithful. He's faithful to his position. So Isaiah, uh, 700 years before Christ, is prophesying towards the Messiah. Paul now, several years after Christ, is writing back about the Messiah. And here's what he says. He is the image of the invisible God. This goes back to what Matt was preaching about last week, that Jesus was fully God, that all the power of God rested in him. In fact, a little bit further down in the passage, you're going to see that, that all the fullness of the deity was in Christ. He's the firstborn of all creation. Uh, By the way, is that actually true? little test here. You're like, uh-oh, guest speaker's asking whether or not the Bible's true. <laughs> okay, when we think of firstborn, like, like I have five children, and I have a firstborn, okay? And I think because she is born first, right? Okay, so here's the thing. There seems to be, at least in the Bible, several people born before Jesus. In fact, if you go back, you'll find this, that Jesus was not created. Jesus wasn't actually born way, way, way back. And if you actually look at the birth of Jesus, roughly December 25th, whenever that was, right? Okay, Um, here's the thing. You find people before him. So what that's talking about is this. It's not talking about just that event. It's talking about his place of preeminence, like the firstborn that you see in the families of Scripture. Okay, the one who has the birthright, the one who has the preeminence. That's what this is talking about. Keep looking in the text. Here's what you find. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Is it fair to say from Paul's words right there, written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus is king? And I want you to see that he's faithful to it. He's the one who leads a family in a particular group or geography. That's what a king is. And he's one who is treasured in his place of authority. And what Paul is saying is this. Jesus created it all. He has authority over creation. He's ruling over everything. And everything is for him. So could you imagine if he was not a good, faithful king? But keep looking. Here's what you find in verse 17. He is before all things. There's that everlasting part. He's before all things. And in him all things hold together. That's important. Here's what that tells you, that your faithful king didn't just create everything, he's sustaining everything. And he is maintaining his preeminent position. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the first one from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And Jesus is faithful to this position of supremacy that is faithful and good. That he's not only creating the world, he's holding it all together and he's doing it in such a way that he receives glory from it, but we receive benefit from it. Now, how do we know that it stays that way? How do we know that our promised king is relating to us as a good, faithful king forever? Revelation chapter 4. That, the, that John, when he's called up into heaven, sees the Lamb seated on the throne, and they are singing, worthy, 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 holy, holy are you. You deserve all of the glory. 
for you created it all. And what you see is this, from 700 years before Christ, all the way to when Christ comes, all the way to when Paul writes back about Christ, all the way to the end of the story, what you find is a forever faithful king relating like a father. It's not just his preeminent position. I want you to take heart because our promised king is faithful like a father who provides, who protects, who righteously leads. This is the picture of our Savior. But look again at the next couple verses, verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. I want you to know this, that our God, listen, Jesus is faithful. He's our faithful king, relating to us like a father, because he holds his position. But not only that, listen, he's faithful to his redemptive mission. It's not just that you have a king who's up in heaven who relates to you like a father. Listen, that king came down so that you and I could be redeemed, that we could have peace with God. And I want you to see that what the scripture shows us in this promised king is a promised king who is faithful. Dear friends, we can take heart in that. We can take heart in that for this reason. What really sets this king apart is he is so consistently everlasting faithful like a father should be to his children. And listen, he's faithful even when we're faithless. Parents, I'm sure there's been a time in the last week where you're like, listen, Kid, this is what I want you to do, right? Some of you parents are like, that happened earlier this morning. Some of you are like, that happened like 12 minutes ago during the service, right? Okay, you're like, listen, this is what I want you to do, okay? And, and it's really easy. This is what God expects you to do. This is what I want you to do. And your kid's like, nah, I don't think so. And so here's the thing. In our flesh, we're like, as a parent, as a parent, I'm going to be faithful even when you are faithless, right? Parents look at me. Sometimes that's hard, isn't it? To be faithful when they're faithless? Forever faithful, everlasting like a father, even when we are faithless, he is faithful. Take heart. This is our Savior, our everlasting Father, our promised King, forever faithful. And he's faithful to us. I want you to see that he's not only faithful, again, we're taking some snapshots, and what Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 20 shows us is this, that this promised king who would come, he would be forever faithful, and that means he's faithful to us. He's the one who makes a way for us. But I also want you to see this. Take in, go in your Bible and turn back to the left, several pages to Luke chapter 7. I want you to see a second thing that I think is so easy to miss about Jesus, and we can't miss it. Ready? Not only is our promised king forever faithful, and we can take heart in that, that even when we're faithless, he's faithful. Listen, our promised king is forever tender. And I would tell you to draw near. Go back to Luke chapter 7. In Luke chapter 7, there's this incredible story of this woman who anoints the feet of Jesus. How do we know what our everlasting father is like? How do, we, how do we know that our promised king, his character on display and how it affects us? Here it is. Here's the tenderness of Jesus. Consider Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him, this is Jesus, to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. Okay, let's just underline that or circle that because here's what you find. You don't want that to be your description. Everybody agree? In fact, in verse 47, it says this, when he says, your sins are forgiven, which are many. Could you just imagine if that was your description? 
like so-and-so, an architect, who was a sinner, right? Just, just, just leave it there, all right? She learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Okay, let's just get real for a minute. That would seem weird. Don't you agree? Like, no, Brian, it's in the Bible, it's not weird. Yes, if today at lunch, first of all, if you were reclining at lunch, that'd be a little weird, but it wasn't weird back then. That's not the weird part. The weird part is the lady came in and started crying all over his feet and wiping it with her hair. Can everybody just agree that's, that feels a little weird? Like, let's just say you're at the restaurant and that happens today, somebody's like, ah, something's wrong, right? Not only was it weird, it would have been culturally wrong. And the idea that this woman who's, a life is so defined by certain things that it's just like she was a sinner. Like, man, the Pharisee like looks straight at that and he's like, I can't even believe that's happening. Look at the, look at the next verse. Okay, look at verse 40, in verse 39. So now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a, what does it say? I want you to see that our king is forever tender with condemned sinners. That's her definition, right? She's a condemned sinner. And what you find is this. When it comes to the sinner who has been cast out, I want you to see that Jesus' response is tender. Note here that she came and sacrificed something of value while being transparent. We aren't told a whole lot about this whole story, and it does seem to be different than the other ones listed in the Gospels. But but I want you to note not just what she does. I want you to note Jesus' response. Jesus' response is very tender. Note that he does not recoil from her. He does not stop her on the account of someone else's perception. In fact, I would just tell you that there's three tender things in the passage that make it very clear that he's relating to her almost like a father to a child. Here it is, ready? He treats her with dignity. While everybody else is defining her as a sinner, he he stops and he's like, listen, I'm not even going to put the focus on her. I'm going to put the focus on Simon, who's all in of himself over there, and he treats her with dignity. He doesn't recoil from her. He's not like, stop it, stop it. He treats her with dignity, and he treats her with compassion. He knows that her greatest sin, her greatest issue, is the thing that is defining her. And listen, he treats her with dignity, compassion, and grace. And when you get all the way down to the next part of the scripture, here's what you find. He says to her, your biggest issue, your biggest definition, I'm taking care of that. That is a tender Savior. And he's tender with outcast sinners like a tender father responding to a broken and needy child. That's what you see here. Look at verse 46. Speaking back to Simon, you did not anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, even in the midst of all the questioning of other people, he says to her, 
Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. There's a tenderness that Jesus has with condemned sinners, but I I want you also to see this. There's actually in the same passage a tenderness with the self-righteous sinner. See, she's not the only person in the story. Simon, the one who invited him over to the house, had not treated him properly, had not even done the basics of hospitality of what they would have understood. And while Simon is looking down on her and, in fact, looking down on Jesus, don't you wish, like, when when these kind of stories are written, don't you wish Jesus was like, Simon, I'm God. I can know what you're thinking right now. Wouldn't that be awesome? That would be awesome. Like, if there's just, like, a little side thing that was like, Jesus knew what Simon was thinking, and he called him out for it, okay? He kind of does that, right? Okay, so he knows what Simon's thinking, and he says this. Look in the text. Verse 40. Jesus answered, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors, and one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the large debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered into your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. I just want you to know that Jesus is tender to treat people with tenderness, dignity, compassion, grace. But I want you also to see this, and I think it's important for the next quick thing that we're going to look at. Here it is. Jesus is tender to teach. Note that he doesn't, like, blow Simon away. All in favor of blowing Simon away after reading that, right? But he doesn't. It's a tenderness that's like, listen, I want you to get a lesson, too. It's not just for her. Simon, I want you to see something. And Jesus is tender with the outcast sinner, and he's tender with the self-righteous sinner. And that is so good because this room is full of both. Do you see that? See, a lot of times we're playing the role of Simon, and we look at the outcast sinner and say, that's someone else. That's us. That's us. And Jesus... Our promised king who relates so intensely personal to us, like a father to his children, is not only faithful, listen, he is so tender. I would tell you to draw near to him. Just one more thing in the book of Luke, just very quickly. I turn over just a few more pages to the right to chapter 22. There's one more thing I want you to see on this snapshot of Jesus' tenderness. In Luke 22... In verse 24, the disciples are arguing about who is the greatest. Okay? A dispute also arose among them as to which one of them would be regarded as the greatest. Okay, just like I wish he would call Simon out, there are times that you just know that Jesus had to be like, come on! What are you thinking, guys? Like, we're walking around, you're learning all kinds of stuff, and then there are just moments where you say dumb stuff. Right? Like, like, literally, like, if you look at what happens in the text before that, there's like a plot to kill Jesus. There's all kinds of stuff going on, and the disciples are like, we're over here fighting about who's the best. Okay, if I were Jesus, I would respond to that differently than he does. Just saying that, I'm not saying that tenderness is always a characteristic that gets attributed to me. 
Maybe intensity, tenderness, I don't know. Here's what you see. This little quick story blows me away. In the face of every right to pop them on the back of the head and tell them how foolish and childish they were being, here's what Jesus does. He said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table, but I am among you as the one who serves? You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, this this blows my mind, I assign to you as my Father assigned to me a kingdom. Look at me. Do you see the tenderness of Jesus? That when the logical human reaction would be like, I can't even believe you people are arguing about it. He teaches them tenderly and he assures them that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And we know from Revelation that that happens to be true. This is so helpful because just like his faithfulness is enduring, note this, whether it's an outcast sinner, whether it's a self-righteous sinner, or whether it's followers who are busy, caught up, arguing the dumbest of things, Jesus is tender. I also want you to see this. In the last two stories, Jesus' tenderness is demonstrated through his teaching. And it's possible, listen, if your heart is not in a posture to receive his instruction, it's possible that you're missing his tenderness. Like if your heart is not in a place to receive the teaching of Jesus, your faithful promised king, who is in his tenderness, illustrating it by teaching you, it's possible that you're missing that part of him. But Jesus is our forever faithful king. He's our forever tender king. And he's relating it to us like an everlasting father to his children. And listen, we're unaware sometimes, but aren't you thankful for Jesus' tenderness? Listen, some people are like, listen, I think God's waiting up in heaven to crush me. But God's not waiting up in heaven to crush you. Jesus came as a faithful king to make a way for you, and he's tender with you. And he's like, listen, come to me, all who are heavy laden. There's a tenderness here. I want you to see there's one more thing. Our king is forever faithful. Our king is forever tender. And our king is forever loving. Just one more snapshot if we could. I'm mindful that the everlasting father phrase in Isaiah 9-6 is the only phrase in that passage that does not have a correlating one passage of Scripture that speaks about it. You have to go to the New Testament and look at the character and actions of Jesus that demonstrate how he's described in that passage. And that's what we're doing. Here's the third one. Ready? John chapter 15, that our forever king is forever loving. One of my favorite passages of the entire Scripture I am the true vine, my Father is the vine dresser. And then it says in chapter 15, verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Listen, if you would take heart in the faithfulness of Christ, if you would be drawn in by the tenderness of Christ, I would tell you this, that here is the greatest example of both on display, that Jesus loves you. You're like, prove it. Look at verse 9. Look at verse 9. As my Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Look at me, dear friends. 
Jesus loves you. Remember that song we used to sing in Sunday school for those of us that did that? Jesus loves the little children. There's a tenderness in that, right? Maybe we should sing that more. It would help us with the tenderness and faithfulness of Christ. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. What does the Bible tell me? The Bible tells me that my forever king is faithful, tender, and loving, and that I should embrace him. In verse 9, he states it clearly to his disciples that he loves them, and he exhorts them then in verse 9 to abide, to stay, to remain. Stay in this love. Look at verse 10 and 11. It's important. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. People are like, uh, God's love? How do I stay in God's love? It says right there, obey what he says. Keep looking. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Maybe just a quick application before we go any further. Just really kind of offhanded. Listen, if this morning you are lacking joy, my question would be this. Listen, are you obeying the commandments of God and therefore abiding in his love? Because abiding seems to be biblically important for experiencing the joy God gives. And this is the one who loves you. Now look at verse 13, because then he describes that he is loving in his saving provision. Look at verse 13. Greater love has no one than this. Have you ever been around people that like, they're like somewhat loving? They're like, I love you. And you're like, eh, I'm not so sure. Right? Ever been around people like that? Okay. And they're like, I love you, brother. And they want to give you a hug in church. And you're like, eh, I feel like you might talk about me in the parking lot. And then you met people, you meet people that like have this overwhelming love. You're like, ah, that looks fake, right? Look at what he says here. What we're doing in those moments is we're measuring love. Verse 13, look at it. Greater love. Love maxed out. Greater love has no one than this. How do I know that this forever promised king is faithful tender and loving. I mean, when it's really on the line, how do I really know he's going to relate like a father gently to his children? Greater love has no one than this that he laid down his life for his friends. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. First John three sixteen. by this we know love that he laid down his life for us. First John 4, 9 In this, the love of God was made manifest. It's made clear. It's made abundant amongst us that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. I think the greatest expression of Jesus as everlasting father, I think we see it in his faithfulness. I think we see it in his tenderness. But I think the greatest expression of Jesus relating to us like a father should to his kids is his love. And you see in this text that he's faithful to his loving provision of salvation. He is giving himself. The Bible makes it clear that our greatest issue is the separation we experience between us and God because of our sin. Isaiah is actually the one who wrote about that. Chapter 59, verse 2. It's your sin that causes a separation between you and God. But listen to what the scripture says about this loving, everlasting Father who would come for us. Here's what it says. That Jesus died the righteous for the unrighteous that he could bring you to God. 
that the truth of the matter is this. There's this massive gulf between who God is and all that is good and all that we need and where we are in our sin. And there is no bridge across the divide except for Jesus Christ. And this morning, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you that Jesus, the promised King, relating to you like a father to his kids, he is faithful. Take heart in that. Even when you're faithless, he's faithful. And he is tender, draw near to him. But here's the great application for today. It's possible that you've been in church for a long time. This may be the one millionth sermon you've heard, probably not. Have you ever embraced Jesus Christ by faith? Have you moved past religion and moved into a relationship with God because of what Jesus has done for you on a cross? You see, here's the story of the gospel. This is the greatest good news that could ever be given. Here it is, ready? That God demonstrates his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ, our promised king, went to a cross and he paid for my sin and he paid for your sin. And then the Bible says with certainty, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you will maybe be saved. You will be saved. And here at Christmas time, it's really easy for these verses to just go right on by us. We've heard this Isaiah 9, 6 so many times. Here's what you find. You find a promised king who is faithful and tender and loving like a father to his children. And here's the really good part. He's an everlasting father. This will never end. So take heart, draw near, and embrace him today. Let's pray. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you made a decision or would like to know more about us, you can connect with us at hamiltonhillschurch.org or via social media at Hamilton Hills Church. Also, if our church has impacted you in any way and you would like to make a donation, you can do so by going to hamiltonhillschurch.org slash give. We hope you have a great week, and we'll see you next time on the Hamilton Hills Church Podcast.